If you're here for the first time, we're so uh, thankful that you've decided to worship with us today. Um, you know, we hope and pray that our family, our church family here, would be a pl- just a place where you can, uh, we, we would be a, ste- we would, you would experience the, spread, uh, the steadfast love of God just through the love of our people. Uh, that you would see how much we love and care for you. Um, you know, but before we jump into our last chapter of Jonah, um, just as a heads up, next week we're beginning an 11-week series to the book of Judges that we're titling The Unraveled Revival uh, because it's exactly that. You know, as the book progresses, we see everything God did in the book of Joshua become undone in the book of Judges. You know, the book of Judges highlights what happens when God's people put God over to the sidelines. And so as we go through the book of Judges, we're going to see the danger of half-hearted faith and the need to put Jesus first in everything. You know, know, I really believe that lukewarm Christianity is one of the greatest dangers in our culture. And, And we as a church must say, no, God is real, Jesus rose from the dead, and the Spirit of God is alive and active. And anything short of white hot faith and total surrender to the Lord, it's selling the cross of Christ short. And something about this series, just as a side note, and we're going to go through this book pretty fast. You know, we spent six months going through the book of Ephesians uh, and for six chapters. And here in the book of Judges, we're covering 21 chapters in 11 weeks. Um, so we're going to do about one to two chapters every week. And so um, if you can read ahead before Sunday, I think that would be really helpful. Um, but also just as a supplement to our series, uh, our midweek groups will take the concepts we preach on Sunday. and We're going to discuss them further in our groups, which means if you're not in a group, get in a group. Like our groups are about half of what we do as a church. And so if you're checking out our church, the only true way to get a full understanding of our church is to just try out a group for several weeks. Like this is a major part of who we are. But for today, we're finishing up the book of Jonah, looking at Jonah chapter four. And just to get up to speed in the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter one, we saw Jonah running from God because uh, God told him to go to a city called Nineveh that had a bunch of mean people he didn't want to go. So he ran the opposite direction. And then in Jonah chapter two, we saw Jonah praying in the belly of a large fish. Uh, God sent a fish to take, to swallow Jonah. And there he is in chapter two in the belly of the fish. And in the process, uh, in the belly, we see him call out to God and turn back to God. And then last week in Jonah chapter three, we saw Jonah obey God and he goes to Nineveh. And Nineveh repents and believes God. And then a whole revival breaks out in the city of Nineveh. And so so far in the book, you know, we've seen how God has been working on Jonah's heart in order to get the message to Nineveh. And in doing so, as we saw last week in chapter 3, we saw a spiritual, spiritual awakening in the city of Nineveh. Like these are the types of things that get us fired up. These are the things that we pray and beg God to see. You know, and after chapter three, it's almost like we're left cheering and praising God. If this was a movie, this would be the point we'd see uh, kind of Jonah getting raised up on on his shoulders and everyone's kind of singing for he's a jolly good fellow, just singing in celebration. But oddly enough, that doesn't happen. No, there's actually an odd plot twist to the end of Jonah. And so let's read the last chapter of Jonah, Jonah uh, chapter four. This is what it says. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? 
Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it and, sh- and he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that it was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? You know, it it kind of seems like the book of Jonah just ends. You know, I just imagine if a movie ended this way, ending with a question saying like, Well, what about the cows? I mean, we're left wondering, like, is this a riddle? Uh, If if, if Rotten Tomatoes came out, they would give this a review. I don't think it would be a very good one. You know, just imagine if a biography or some sort of novel ended this way with a looming question or a cliffhanger, and there was no follow-up book to answer the question. You know, I said a a few weeks ago, the book of Jonah, it, it, it ends way better for Nineveh than it does for Jonah. And today we see how Jonah ends. He's not painted in the best light. No, he's angry. And he's not happy. And we really don't know if God, uh, God's question to Jonah turns Jonah around, but this speaks into part of our longings as humans, I think. Like we, we like happy endings. We love storybook endings. We all do. And we, we, all, we all want the, stor- the story to end. And Jonah lived happily ever after. But it doesn't. No, the book of Jonah, uh, it, it ends with us kind of scratching our, our heads like with a big question because God basically says to Jonah, and what about the cows? <laughs> you know, I hope you'll pay attention today because this strange and perplexing ending, it takes us into the depths of God's character. And what we'll ultimately see today as our main idea is that God's relentless pursuit of his people, it never ends. No, God is continually working on our hearts in his pursuit of his people. It doesn't stop. And, and maybe, you've, maybe you've taken your first step and, and you've said yes to following Jesus. Well, we must know it doesn't end there. Like that, that's the starting line, not the finish line. Or, or maybe you've said yes to maybe a ministry opportunity. You've said yes to getting into a group or serving or you've walked in obedience in some way and you've taken those next steps. We must know that God's not done with us yet. No, we're all still a work in progress. You know, whenever we think we've arrived or we think we've fully matured in our relationship with Jesus, that's actually when we start to go backwards. And the book of Jonah is showing us that obedience is not just a one-time thing. No, this is a lifetime endeavor. God's pursuit of our hearts, it never stops even into eternity. And those who are with God and have given their life to Jesus, he never stops pursuing us. And the mission of God, it never ends. And so all have heard, like this is the heart of God. And so today we're going to walk back through this text and we're going to take this passage in three different turns. 
And in each turn, we're going to see um, a, a, a glimpse into the heart of God with this kind of strange ending to the book of Jonah. We're going to see three things. Number one, Jonah's displeasure. Number two, God's response. And number three, God's purpose. And the, the, the first one's going to be probably the longest point. Um, but as we look at this in chapter four, I just want us to stop for a second and remember how two weeks ago, you know, we brought up this question while Jonah was still in the belly of the fish, asking the question, what if God's greatest works in our life are still in the days ahead of us. And, and again, if this is true, that God's not done with us yet, and we're all still at work in progress, then we must believe that our days ahead, God still has work to do in us and through us. You know, one of my, one of my greatest desires for our church for us individually as a, as a people and also collectively as a whole body is that we would be a church that just wholeheartedly believes that we serve a big God and that we would celebrate how God has used us in the past but yet continually dream about what God could do in the future. But I want to just ask, I want us to ask ourselves, like what if the way in which God will use you, what if it means going through something you don't really want to do? Like, what if it requires some sort of great sacrifice for that to happen? It's often like, yeah, God, I, I, I want to see our entire city turn to Jesus, but I want you to work uh, on my schedule with a full bank account, and I want all my desires to be fulfilled in the process. Uh, please and thank you. I know, yeah, let's not forget, no hardship, God. That would be excellent. Um, and can I clarify what, what hardship means? Uh, that means I need to love my job. I need to be paid well enough to go out to eat four times a week. And oh yeah, I need to have my three best friends with me who get me in my personality. All right, now God, let's do this thing. And yeah, this sounds kind of silly, but is it really? You know, if, if, if God's not done with us yet, he wants every nook and cranny of our life. And let's, re let's remember, Jonah just saw a revival break out in the city of Nineveh. And as we'll see here in a second, he's mad about it. With us looking in, it seems to be a clear indicator that Jonah is still a work in progress. He still has some work to do. So look, look back at verses 1 and 3 of chapter 4 again. This is what it says. Again. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And so right off the bat, we see our first turn, number one, Jonah's displeasure. In the very first verse, it said, uh, it displeased Jonah exceedingly, he was, and he was angry. And then he complained to God. He's like, God, I knew this was going to happen. Like, this is why I ran away from you. Just, just kill me now. That's, that's what he says, essentially. And y'all, Jonah is, 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 he's in a full-on temper tantrum. And I don't know if you've witnessed a temper tantrum or maybe you've been in one yourself, but like all good temper tantrums, um, he was probably in a Publix. He was probably screaming at the top of his lungs. And at this point, he may be on the floor just kind of banging the ground, uh, spits flying, and he can hardly br breathe. He's so worked up. And, and maybe people are just kind of walking by the aisles wondering, um, is this person demon-possessed? And, you're, and you're just kind of sitting there saying, like, uh, do you guys know this guy? Uh, do we need to call security here? Like, this is Jonah in this moment. He's having an all-out temper tantrum because God didn't work in the way Jonah wanted him to work. And look what it says in verse 4. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? 
And so in the midst of Jonah's tantrum, God's like, how's this working out for you? And look what Jonah does in verse 5. Jonah went out to the city and sat in the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. And so Jonah, he goes outside of the city just to watch and see what happens. He's just waiting for God to bring his wrath down on the city. I mean, can you believe this? You know, I just imagine Jonah here just kind of going out to the city, just kind of sitting with his arms crossed under a tree and just like, <laughs> just like sticking his tongue out of God, just like upset, like God, God don't talk to me. And, but I, I th- it sounds kind of funny, but I think if we're honest with ourselves, we can be a lot like Jonah. And do you know what Jonah's problem is? He's not satisfied with God's will. He's not satisfied with how God has worked out his plan and his purpose. Like Jonah didn't want the people of Nineveh to repent. And yes, this is a major problem, and we'll get to that later. But let me first ask the question. Have you ever been disappointed with the outcome of God's will for your life. Maybe you're not satisfied with where God has placed you right now. Maybe it's where you work. Maybe there's something God has put in your life that's a bit challenging. Maybe your marriage is is just really challenging and you know God's will is to say, but honestly, you just don't really want to. Or maybe it's really hard to give, but you know God's will for your life is to be generous. Or or maybe your your neighbor is just difficult to love, but again, you know it's God's will to love your neighbor. And again, if we're honest with ourselves, I think we would all agree we can have these temper tantrums with God also. It's like, God, this is is not part of my five-year plan. Like, what are you doing here, God? But we have to see that Jonah's temper tantrum, Jonah's displeasure, it's like smoke to a fire. It's an indicator that there's something deeper going on here, which again tells us our frustration and displeasure of God's will for our life. It's an indicator of something deeper. And again, one of the things we see from from chapter four is that God's not done with Jonah. Again, the, the tendency is to think at the end of chapter three, wow, Jonah's a hero. Like, look at Jonah. He got his second chance, and he's, getting, he's got his life back together, and he's doing great, but no. Rather, chapter four shows us Jonah's humanity. It shows us like his weaknesses. It shows us that, he's, that we never fully arrive and that God never stops working on our hearts. You know, I said this two weeks ago, but I want to say it again today. C.S. Lewis said, rely on God has to start over every day as if nothing has ever been done. And the moment we think we've arrived in our faith is the moment we're, we're most open to attack from the enemy. Like the danger is to think of how God has used us in the past. And that somehow, because of what we've accomplished in life or ministry or in maybe in overcoming some sort of sin, that somehow it makes us maybe immune to sin or temptation. Or, or maybe, maybe that's not it. Maybe it's just an everyday life. I mean, Jonah's displeasure, it was very much an inward struggle. I mean, this is just him and God in this moment in chapter 4. Like, nobody's witnessing this anger and displeasure. Uh, no, God is the only one who sees it. And so let's just ask ourselves... Like, what are we wrestling with God about? What area of our life maybe needs an attitude adjustment? What area of our life are we struggling to find joy in? Again, chapter four of Jonah is put here to show us that God is not done with us yet. Like, we have to keep digging into the depths of our sin. We have to keep mining out the idols of our life as we've seen throughout the whole book of Jonah. You know, this never stops. Let's take it a step further into Jonah's problem. Look at, look at verses two and three again. We'll start in the, verse, in the middle of verse two. This is what it says. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, 
For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. You know, Jonah here, he's complaining about God's character. And I think this should make us stop and ask a few questions because doesn't it seem strange for Jonah, a prophet, a religious leader, to complain about these things? I mean, it doesn't happen very often that people complain about someone being too nice or maybe being too compassionate or too patient or too loving. And Jonah here, he wanted justice and discipline for Nineveh and not compassion. And as the reader, we're thinking, Jonah, like these are the exact same characteristics that God showed you uh, in your life in the belly of the fish and kept you alive. I mean, how, how soon he forgot which is a reminder to us to how soon we forget. You know, I, I know at least for me, it's easy to forget God's patience uh, in our life when we're needing to be patient with others, right? Like, uh, I mean, look at what Jonah says in verse three. He says, it's better for me to die than to live. And we've already said that Jonah is not satisfied with God's will for his life, and now he's complaining to God about God's love and character. But we have to ask, why is it this extreme why is he so angry? Like what in the world is going on with Jonah for him to respond this way? Why is, he so, why is Jonah so adamant and so angry that Nineveh never repented? Or not that they did repent, excuse me. Again, most pastors and missionaries, uh, evangelists, they dream for situations like this. And I hate to disappoint you here, but the scriptures don't really tell us exactly why he got so upset. And we're left kind of guessing and filling in the blanks. And, and these are the types of things that scholars and commentators, they just love to debate and try to figure out. Uh, and so we're going to geek out here for several min- minutes and try to solve a mystery um, as to why Jonah is so upset. And so I'm going to give you three possible reasons why Jonah was just so upset that Nineveh repented. I think this, kinda, this stuff's kind of fun because it kind of feels like a game of Clue, try, like a mystery to solve. And, but, and one that I find interesting, the first one, is that just maybe Jonah was afraid that Nineveh would rise up against Israel. You know, at the time, Nineveh uh, was the head of a resurgent military state, and just maybe Jonah thought that being an instrument to spare Israel's greatest enemy just seemed too unbearable for Jonah to withstand, which is perhaps why Jonah said, it's better for me to die than to live. I mean, maybe afraid just to face his own people and how they may treat him. Another possible reason, you know, some have said, was that he was so upset because of his, maybe his personal reputation. We have to ask, was his personal reputation at stake? Would he be known as the lying prophet? You know, I find this one com- pretty compelling because in chapter 3, verse 4, he said, Yet 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. And just maybe Jonah thought, and him saying this to Nineveh, uh, that God was absolutely going to do this. Like this was certain, God, like he, God was certainly going to overthrow Nineveh in 40 days, just like he said. And Jonah, he was sure of it. Because again, Jonah, he never wanted Nineveh to repent. No, he wanted God's wrath to be put on display. And just maybe Jonah never thought of it as a warning, but rather he thought this is what God is absolutely going to do, which might explain why in chapter 4 verse 5 Jonah went outside of the city just still waiting for God to do what he prophesied that God would do and, ver- and says in verse 5 he went and made a booth and he sat in it till he should see what would become of the city it's almost like he goes out and sits and he's like alright God go do what you told me you're going to do 
And I just kind of picture Jonah here, you know, having, uh, eating popcorn, his $5 Coke, reclining in those nice theater chairs, just waiting for God to overthrow Nineveh. He's like, all right, God, I'm waiting. You know, like who needs Hollywood? We've got a real life Armageddon here. Let's just sit and watch and see what God does. But maybe that's not it, or maybe it is. Who, who knows? But then thirdly, this, this one I think is probably the most compelling why he's so upset. Um, you know, honestly, I think they're all, there's probably some truth in maybe all of them, but if there's some sort of mystery game and I had to pick one, this last one would be my pick. Um, this one's a bit longer, so uh, stay locked in with me. I kind of feel like Harvey Specter here, just kind of making my case, all right? But let's ask, was Jonah so upset and angry because God showed mercy to a people who were not God's chosen people? I mean, just think. Jonah was a prophet of Israel, and Israel was known as God's chosen people, and Nineveh, they were not Israel. And the thought is that perhaps Jonah is angry with God that he would show so much compassion to a people that were not from the line of David, who were God's chosen people. That God, God made a promise to this line, to, to, to Israel. And just maybe this is one of the reasons the author wrote the book and why God allowed all of this to happen. Maybe to begin preparing Israel's heart for when Jesus would come down to earth and declare that God's love and grace is for all people and not just Israel. And just maybe God through the book of Jonah was possibly equating Jonah to the people of Israel in order to be assigned to the people of Israel in order to reveal and soften their hearts to show again that God is concerned for all people and not just the people of Israel. And we know today that this carries very well into the New Testament, specifically when we see God grafting in the Gentiles as Paul teaches us in the book of Romans, showing us that God takes people like you and me he takes us like that we're not God's people, meaning we're not from the line of David, people like Nineveh, and then God takes the people like Nineveh and, and you and me, and he makes us his people. Again, in the New Testament, we see the people of Israel, they're acting just like Jonah because they did not want salvation to be for those outside of God's chosen people. And we see this firsthand with Jesus' encounter in the scribes and Pharisees in the New Testament. In fact, in Matthew 12, uh, Jesus, like, talk to, uh, in Jesus in Matthew 12 talks specifically to the scribes and Pharisees about the sign of Jonah. It's almost like Jesus kind of completed the book uh, of Jonah. And then it all clicked and made sense because the people of Israel were acting just like Jonah in chapter 4. Because again, Jesus, he didn't come just for the people of Israel. No, he, can't, he came to redeem and rescue and show compassion and grace to all people all over the world. And Jesus said to the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 12, 41, Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah. And then he goes on to say that Nineveh will be the ones to rise at the judgment, that they will be the ones condemning this generation. And when, Je when Jesus says this generation back in Matthew 12, Jesus is speaking about the scribes and Pharisees, those that consider themselves to be the people of Israel, just like Jonah for their lack of repentance. And if I lost you there, you can check back in here. And again, perhaps this is one of the main reasons for the book of Jonah you know, just to simply show a mirror into the heart of the people of Israel. But at the end of the day, I think Jonah was so upset because he was just disappointed with God showing grace and compassion to his enemies, people that he thought uh, were not supposed to be inside of God's family. And if I were in a court of law right now, I think I would be waiting on the judge to say, uh, case closed. But you know what? We can't close the case because we don't have enough evidence 
honestly, the Bible doesn't really tell us why he's so upset. And regardless of why Jonah was so upset, the author shows us that he was upset. Like that's what the author chose to emphasize. The author did not emphasize why Jonah was displeased, but rather that Jonah was displeased because in Jonah's displeasure and being so angry, he totally was missing that God just used him in a miraculous situation and Jonah like failed to see God's joy, to see the joy in God's sovereign plan. And do you know why Jonah missed it? Because he was so focused on himself. Look back at Jonah's prayer in verse two of three of chapter four. Look at the emphasis here. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. It is better for me to die than to live. So get this, in our translation, we see I or me eight times, but in the original language, it's no fewer than nine times. And this is what the author chose to emphasize. He emphasized that Jonah was so upset because he was focused on himself. Y'all, Jonah wasn't satisfied with God's plan. No, Jonah wanted God to work according to his plan. In New City, I asked this question earlier, but I want to ask it again. Have you ever been disappointed with the outcome of God's will for your life? And I think we can agree at some level, y'all, this happens to all of us. We have to see that this is an indicator of a much deeper problem, and the problem is a me-centered life and not a gospel or not a God-centered life. And yes, we, we may say, God, not my will, but your will, but I think what we often really believe is, God, I want my will, not your will. I mean, I'm guilty of this, and this stings, doesn't it? I mean, when I personally become dissatisfied with God's will for my life, with where God has placed me, or with how God chooses to use me, and when I become dissatisfied, whether it be with relationships, or ministry, or, or family dynamics, or finance, or just everyday life situations, get this, when I'm dissatisfied with all of these things, I'm inadvertently doing the exact same thing that Jonah did in chapter four. Like I'm believing that my life is centered around me. You know, in, in, so, many, in so many ways, in, in those moments, you know, I'm, I'm just like Jonah. Like my heart reveals what I truly believe, that I really want my will and not God's will. And in doing this, I'm missing the things that God is trying to teach me and show me. New City, Jonah said he knew God's character, but guess what? He didn't like it. Specifically, when it didn't go according to his plan. And how convicting is this? Because again, we can be the exact same way. We know God's compassionate, but maybe not when God wants to use us to show compassion when we don't feel like showing compassion. Like maybe we love God's mission. We love seeing the gospel made known, but maybe not when it's, it's us that has to share and then maybe it has to take, like, get outside of our comfort zone. Or maybe we love hospitality, but maybe not when it's us that has to be hospitable. And, you know, I'll be the first to admit, I love patience. I need people to be patient with me. Like, I know how good patience is, except for when it's me that has to be patient. Like, again, New City, we have to ask the question, do we love God's plan and purpose in our life even when it's hard? 
even when we're the ones that God is stretching. And you know what's fascinating about this entire encounter? It's God's response to Jonah. Look back at, uh, look at, let's look back at the text again. Look at verse four. We're gonna go all the way down to verse nine. This is what it says. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city and sat up to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what the, would become of the city. In these next four verses, this is what we're gonna really focus on. Look what it says. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry. Angry enough to die. This brings us to our second turn, which will be much faster than the first. Number two, uh, God's response. Now this is so fascinating to me because Jonah, or because God is teaching Jonah a lesson here and I love how he did it. He didn't tell him what was wrong with him. No, God showed Jonah what was wrong with him. God responded to Jonah's complaint and grumbling by putting a mirror back into Jonah's life. Jonah didn't like God's will. No, Jonah wanted his own will to be done. And so how did God respond? By appealing to his own sovereignty. But yet Jonah still didn't quite get it. When you look at how God appealed to his sovereignty, to his kingship, his own lordship over the world, God is saying here, hey, remember, I hold the whole world in my hands. And we see this first in verse six. It says, God appointed a plant. And Jonah loved it. Jonah loved the plant because it provided shade and comfort. And the scripture said, Jonah was exceedingly glad. And then in verse seven, it says, God appointed a worm. And then it attacked the plant. The plant withered and died. And then in verse eight, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah. And Jonah was faint, it says. And then Jonah says, it's better for me to die than to live. And God's like, Jonah, are you sure? And Jonah says, yes. And just as a side note, aren't you guys glad that God doesn't always answer our prayers? Y'all, Jonah, he prayed to the Lord to die. But what's the point of all of this? Again, we're seeing that God is not done with Jonah yet. God is showing Jonah a mirror into his own life. He's showing Jonah specifically that he only likes God's plan and purpose if it goes well for him. I mean, think back, think back to what happened. Jonah gets a plant for shade and comfort, and he's like, I love you, God. And then God takes it away and he's like, just kill me now. Yo, God, he's putting a magnifying glass over Jonah and he's revealing Jonah's lack of faith and trust. And God is showing Jonah that he only trusts and worships God when his circumstances are going well. When things go according to Jonah's plans and not God's plans. And let's not think we aren't, like we're, we're a lot like Jonah because we can so often have the heart of Jonah. I mean, just ask. Can we only worship God when our circumstances are going well in our eyes? Like when our car is working, or when our AC is working, or our kids are obey, when our savings account is full, when our health is in order, when we get promotions at work, when we get an A on a test. But what about maybe when we get reprimanded at work, 
or when meetings go poorly or when you completely mess up a presentation or when you fail a test you studied for weeks for or when your car is constantly in the shop or when your family is being really difficult or you can't seem to stay out of the hospital. I mean, we have to ask, whose sovereign will are we trusting in? Whose understanding are we leaning on? Is it our, our, our own plan and understanding or is it God's? We have to step back and ask, are we so focused on ourselves that we're totally missing what God is trying to do in our lives and the lives of those around us? And I, and I, I said this earlier in our series and it applies again here today. Yo, God is not doing all this to, to punish Jonah. No, God's doing this to teach Jonah. He's doing this to bring Jonah into complete dependence on himself and he's doing this to show Jonah what he truly believes. New City, God is doing this to show Jonah that this is God's world and Jonah, he's just living in it. But we need to keep moving here. Okay, so look down at verse 11. Look what it says. He says, God says, says, should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. All right, I want to talk about the cows, okay? (laughs) Just for a second before our third point. And I want to talk about this like unbelievable ending, this just kind of question mark to the end of the book. You know, a lot of commentators, they'll disagree on the cows and why it's there, and a lot of them will just kind of dismiss it. But me, I, I personally um, struggle. I, I can't help but a- I struggle just to dismiss it. I can't help but ask, how in the world could a book with this much purpose and with this much literary intention throughout the entire book end talking about something so completely random and not have a purpose? In my own personal opinion about this, which could be wrong, so take it or leave it, is that God is saying this is to remind him of his sovereignty over all of creation and, and not just humans. I mean, Jonah back in chapter two, I think this is where it's connected. This is my personal thought. I think Jonah back in chapter two, he quoted, I know he quoted Psalm 50 in his most stressful moment when he was in the belly of the fish. So Jonah, he knew Psalm 50 like the back of his hand. He knew it so well. And what I think God is doing here in verse 11 is he's reminding Jonah of the rest of Psalm 50 that God knows that he knows. I mean, he's already quoted it when he was in, his, like in a high-stress situation. And in Psalm 50, verse 14, it says, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and, the moves, uh, and all that moves in the field is mine. All of Psalm 50 is pointing to how God owns everything. I mean, essentially, God is reminding Jonah at the very end of the book, it's all mine. I own it all. Don't forget that this entire world is mine. All the cows are in my hand. Nineveh is in my hand. And Jonah, you too, your life is in my hand. He's saying, Jonah, don't forget that I hold it all. And Maybe God is saying, Jonah, can you at least care about the cows like you cared about that dying plant. Maybe you care, maybe you care, could you also care about the cows that I love and that you love? Again, at the end of chapter four, whether he's drawing off of Psalm 50 or not, there's no question God is showing us and Jonah that he holds everything in his hands. He knows it all and he sees it all. And when things aren't going according to our plans, New City, we have to ask, are we leaning on our limited understanding or are we leaning on God's sovereign understanding? Like, are we only satisfied with our plan and purpose, or are we satisfied with God's plan and purpose for our life? Because, y'all, Jonah, he missed the joy in God's plan of reviving the people of Nineveh because he was so caught up in himself. 
Y'all, may we not miss the joy in God's plan for our life because we're so caught up in our own lives. And listen, y'all, I know this stings because it stings me. I've had to wrestle with this quite a bit, but whether we like it or not, the question we have to continually ask is whose plan are we following? Are we following God's plans or my plans? Like we, we know that God calls us to live on mission and to serve our neighbor and to love the unreached around the world. And so we have to ask, what is it that is keeping us from pursuing God's purposes around the world? You know, we have all sorts of short-term mission trips we're planning for 2024. I mean, just ask, what's keeping us from going on one? What's keeping us, what's keeping you from seeing God's heart for the world? I mean, do, do you even have a passport yet? If not, get one, make that a priority. Are you worried about the funds? Well, let this be an opportunity to let God show you how he provides. I mean, just think, what could happen if you decided today that in 2024, maybe you went on your first short-term trip? Who knows what God could do with that? Y'all, we cannot miss this in chapter four. God's heart is for the entire world. And the easiest way for us to remind ourselves that our life is not about us, it's just through serving other people. I mean, maybe, maybe through serving weekly on ser- uh, Sundays, uh, maybe through serve week that's coming up. I mean, there's so many different ways that we could serve other people. And there is a special joy and satisfaction we get when we serve others and remember that this life is not ours, but it's for the Lord. Again, may we not miss, on the jo- miss out on the joy of God's plan and purpose for our life because we're so caught up in ourself. And I'm not saying this just as a means to, means to make you feel guilty. No, I'm saying this because there is truly, uh, there, is, there is true joy that is found in serving others. Because when we live our life for the Lord and for others, serving them and sacrificing for others, that is where true joy is found. Like the quickest way to live a joyless life is to be extremely self-focused. And no, I'm not saying we ignore ourselves, not at all. I'm not saying, like, but I am, I am saying there's a special joy we gain when we put Jesus and others before ourselves. And so that, that said, let's look at back at verse 10, 11 again, just to get to our last turn here, and then we'll land the plane um, with number three. And this is what it says in verse 10. And the Lord said, you pity the plant, for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. Leading us to number three, God's purpose. You know, at the end of Jonah, God has Jonah right where he wants him. You know, the, the, the book ends with, give it, with God having the last word. Um, the last argument, uh, like he gets to reveal his purpose. And God says, Jonah, you pitied the plant which I gave you, which was a blessing for me, might I add. And, and he's saying, Jonah, you didn't make this plant grow. No, it came, it came up overnight and you were satisfied with, what, with, the, with the comfort that it brought. But Jonah, you got worked up when it went away. And you showed pity to the plant. And this is that teaching moment for Jonah. I just imagine God saying something like, like if you, Jonah, whom I created, if you have pity for the plant that I created, why should, not, why should I not have pity for the 120,000 souls that God, that God created? He's saying, remember, Jonah, I own everything. Again, the book essentially ends with a question. 
And in this moment, God is reminding Jonah that he loved what God created in the plant and that Jonah loved the comfort he found in the shade. And God is reminding him, Jonah, why would you not also love even more the souls that God created in Nineveh that are lost and confused and without God's direction? God is showing Jonah that he was more concerned with his plan and his comfort than he was the repentance of the Ninevites. New City, the book of Jonah, it ends with writing us into the story. And it essentially ends by asking us this question. Do we love our own comfort more than we love lost people? You know, right now, there are over two billion people around the world who've never heard the name of Jesus. And so we must ask, are we more concerned with our comfort than these two billion people? And we need to examine and seriously ask, do we get more worked up about the comfort of a number in our bank account than we do about the realities of the thousands of people, people groups that have no gospel witness at all to them? Let's just ask, are we more concerned with the state of our house or our busy schedule than we are the state of our neighbor's soul? And y'all, I just can't help but think, 30 years from now, 100 years from now, will someone look back on our lives, maybe on our culture, on us as the people of God and think, you know, how could, they sp- how could they know so much about God's grace and come together so frequently under the word of God and sing so much about God and his goodness and yet have, be more passionate about our own comfort and reputation than the salvation of the lost? Well, a a really good or maybe even a really hard question to ask maybe your family or your kids or those that you're closest with. Maybe have them ask, ask, like you ask them, what are you most concerned about? What are you most passionate about? What's your greatest passion? What would they say? Is it God's mission? Is it making God's glory known? Or is it sports? Or is it a clean house? Is it having a good reputation? Is it being liked? You know, and I know all of this is really hard to hear, but I think if we're all honest here, we can all relate to Jonah. Like, we all love our comforts, don't we? I know I do. (laughs) And listen, comforts, they're not bad. They can be a gift to us, but we have to ask, what do we desire more? Like, I I really believe that if every Christian around the world, including myself, came to this reality, if putting the gospel, if if we put getting the gospel to lost people before our own comforts, we would not have unreached people groups. I mean, there wouldn't be two billion people who've never heard the name of Jesus. I mean, just, I just think about just right here at USF, on a campus of 50,000 students, uh, maybe there wouldn't be, like, there would be far more than just a couple hundred Christians on campus. Who knows? And y'all, please hear me. This is not me pointing fingers at you about this. I'm looking right back at myself here. Like we have to all ask, what are we most concerned about? Is it our life and our comfort and our plan and our will, or is it God's glory and God's mission? And y'all, New City, I really believe that today God is stirring in someone's heart. I just like, I just believe it. This is how the Spirit works. Maybe it's to comfort your life. Like, or maybe, maybe it's to, to commit your life to inten- uh, international missions, long-term missions. 
Maybe God is calling you to go on a short-term trip. Maybe, maybe God is calling you just to jump in and serve or get into a group. Or maybe God is stirring you just to pray and have a hard conversation with someone. Or maybe God has put someone on your heart that is far from God to share Christ with someone that is close to you but far from God. Yo, we have been praying that every single person in our church, would be would, everyone would reach one. So who is that one person in your life that you want to see that you're you're getting on your hands and knees and begging for God to just see them come to Christ. And maybe today you make a phone call to that person to just hang out with them and say, you know, I would love to spend time with you. And just, can I just share with you that something that has totally changed my life? Or maybe, as we've seen throughout this entire book, maybe God is breaking your heart for some sort of idolatry and calling you to come and lay your life down, to lay your idol down at the feet of Jesus again maybe for the first time. You know, whatever it is, New City, we can be certain that God is not done with us yet. And we can know that God, he wants to change our heart and he wants to reach the heart of those around us and to reach the heart of those around the world. You know, this is the book of Jonah. God wants to revive and restore our hearts. God wants to bring us to himself because God cares for the souls that are far from him. God, how, how, what are we going to do with this? How are we going to step forward in this? How's God stirring your heart today? Let's pray. God, we need your help. God, I, if there's someone in here that's never given their life to Jesus, God, I pray that today you would begin a lifelong journey with them and that today they would say, God, here's my life. Take it all. God, you desire every single nook and cranny of our heart and life. Whatever, God, we do not have turned over to you 100%, God, would you take it? Would we have the courage to just say, God, take this again? God, I don't know how you're working in the hearts of people here, but God, I know that you work and you move because the resurrection is true. The Spirit is alive. God, we need your help, and we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.